Welcome to Advantage Over, the podcast for the rugby referee community, or simply those in rugby who want to know more about refereeing. Are you ready? Time on. Hello, this is Keith Lewis and I'm the host of the Advantage Over podcast. You're very welcome to episode six. Um, Thanks so much um, for all your comments and and feedback on the last episode, episode five of the Advantage Over podcast, when we spoke to Claire Daniels of the RFU about what they're doing to try and attract more females into refereeing. A really good listen and hope you enjoyed it. So um, if you've got initiatives going on where you're listening, whether it's to attract females or ex-players or juniors or just just normal referees into the system then let us know we'd really love to um, give an audience to that story um, and what you're doing in your country or your region um, might just give some tips to others listening so do let us know about things going on in your patch Um, and yeah do keep sharing the news of this podcast obviously we want more earbuds to hear it um, so do give it on to your referee colleagues wherever you are in the world and we'd also of course um, love to see some ratings and reviews on iTunes or um, Stitcher or wherever it is you might be listening to this podcast or wherever you found it so please do go there um, after you've listened to our great interview today um, and leave us a review we really would appreciate it Um, So today, episode 6, we are going to be talking to Craig Joubert, um, just refereed his 200th and final World Rugby Sevens series match, having um, topped off a a 15s career with 69 test matches, one World Cup final, 103 Super Rugby matches um, before he finishes his career next week, um, as we're recording this, um, Hilton College versus Michael House to finish up his career. Um, but first, before we get to that, um, a few um, words, I guess, on some some of the hubbub around the rugby community over last weekend's summer internationals. Um, we pointed out before, um, this is a kind of an opportunity for some of those less experienced referees to get some good game time as the um, top tier referees, if you like, um, are spending the the summer window refereeing and, and viewing the rugby on offer for those um, tier two sides ahead of Rugby World Cup where who knows who will see um, what match from a refereeing perspective. Um, so really some great opportunities for the next generation to get some big game time. So at the weekend we saw Ben O'Keefe um, in South Africa versus England. We saw Marius van der Westhausen doing Australia, Ireland and, and Luke Pearce in a huge match in um, New Zealand versus France. Um, and naturally look, when you step up to these things now, these matches bring challenge. Every match is a challenge, but these huge test matches in a very different environment to what these guys will be used to um, brings their own challenge. And it, I think um, it's really great that they're given those opportunities. But of course, things don't always go perfect. And when you're um, stepping up a level um, and getting that experience, you're not the perfect referee you might dream to. Or perfect, there's no such thing as a perfect referee, is there? But you know what I mean? You kind of get, get that um experience and and longevity under your belt but in order to get there you've got to have gone through this development curve that these matches give you Um, and there's obviously a couple of talking points in in some of those games Um, the one that's caused more um, aggro I think across the commentary out in the media um, and on social media as well has been the the incident of the um, I'm using air quotes here missed red card Um, potentially missed two red cards if you look at some people's comments where a seatbelt tackle from Sam Kane um, brought the, the French 10 Remy Grosso down to a level and then there was a secondary contact from Offa to Angafasi, um, which a clash of all three heads. 
um, then ensued. So um, Luke very clearly blew the whistle immediately for the high tackle, saying it was just a penalty, um, which was that which was then followed by a clash of heads. You can really clearly hear that on the commentary and on the audio from the ref mic. Um, in real time from the side, that looks like a really solid call. Um, obviously, when you've got an injury break, the TV guys then look at the slow-mos and the replays, um, and then the super slow-mo from behind showing during that treatment break then brings in the issue of what made contact with what and in what order. Um, there was a, um, a, a as the seatbelt tackle went over, first point of contact could well have been um, on the chin of Grosso and then the two Ungafasi's shoulder then clearly it makes contact with the, the chin as well. Um, there wasn't a TMO review, there was a sort of informal review, Luke was clear and just checked with the TMO as to what was going on. Um, we have no idea what was shown on the screen, um, or if indeed any of the on-field officials saw it, if it was shown. But the outcome to the French player was obviously a sorry um, incident where he ended up with a double cheek fracture, um, and the rugby world, or, or sections of it, now up in arms about that, the lack of protection for players who suffer head injuries, um, the lack of a sighting, a, a lack of a, a visible sighting, um, and a subsequent ban or disciplinary process for the players involved. But we have to remember there are independent sighting um, processes here. Um, as it as it worked out over the, the last few days, the um, Tuanga Fassi did receive a sighting commissioner's warning from the South African independent sighter, um, sighting commissioner Freak Berger. Um, which and, and that means that it, it didn't meet the guidelines according to him um, and his sort of neutral view um, for a red card, but only just. So those citing commissioner warnings are those that only just breach the threshold for a red card. Um, and it also made clear in the in the release from World Rugby, and you can see that on our, our via our feed um, on, on on Twitter at least. Um, that the citing commissioner agreed with with the referee that the penalty award against Kane was accurate. Um, so the penalty was accurate. Um, there wasn't a red card incident to follow. So this is one of those scenarios potentially where um, I think the parlance is, is often used kind of rugby incident where you've either got foul play or you don't. Um, where there is a count. I think that the thing here for for many people watching it are focusing on the super slow mo from behind angle and not the um, the real time final or the real-time version of the incident. And, and that kind of, if you look at it, it doesn't jump out that there was a big swinging arm. It doesn't jump out that there was the, the gut-feel red card that we all, as referees, know what a red card looks like when we see it in real-time. Um, that button didn't trick for me and some of the other people I've spoken to. Citing commissioners obviously ruled that there was foul play, but it wasn't a red card level. So the citing process works. There's always a debate after these sorts of incidents about transparency and who says what and who doesn't say what and what happens thereafter. Um, of course, from a, a, a referee, elite rugby um, and refereeing position, they use the AMS system, the athletic management system, um, where the feed, the reviews are take place, the um, performance reviewers' comments are made, and that um, commentary, I believe, is also then shared back with the sides. So there's that's in the in the sort of public domain between the, those parties involved and then there's obviously the citing commissioner um, process which has revealed their report as well so lots of things are in the process um, but there is the sort of void in the middle whereas as people see incidents get commenting on it without really a voice there so hopefully um, the rugby referee net community rugbyreferee.net community has been able to sort of 
at least shed some extra light into that and, and, and that's certainly our view but a, sort of another example of the game needing to decide I think about what it wants um, that does it want um, referees to stop and check absolutely every incident um, we've had that before where there's been lots of referrals to the TMO and those same referees are then criticised for doing it and the matches take two two hours plus to play it's a sort of a, an example of the game needing to decide what it wants from there but the crucial thing is is that we're still carrying through the mantra of high tackles and protecting players it's a collision sport it's a contact sport and sometimes um, head injuries will happen if they're identified they should be dealt with they should be removed from the field of play and gone through the necessary process in terms of return to play protocols and um, so that's obviously key for any referees um, listening to this that we carry through um, our responsibilities in that regard so keep keep listening to that you can go back to um, I think it was episode four when we talked to um, Scott McLean from Sam uh, in New Zealand uh, on one of the blue card trials for concussion management and we'll return to this issue I'm sure in the future so I'm sure um, Luke will have learned a lot from that match, as will Ben and Marius from their respective games too. Um, a kind of more power to them and, and onwards onto the games this weekend. Um, still on high tackles, we touched last time on the World Under 20s Championship, which is trialing a, a lower tackle height, and in this case, dealing not changing with a, t- a refereeing change on the f- field, but dealing with a post-game warnings for those who are, make high high tackle or highly. Um, uh, high collisions in which there is a, a, a subsequent head contact as well. Um, to speak to date, and we're recording this on Wednesday, um, up to the games, the semi finals, and the other playoff games yesterday, 10 high tackle warnings have been issued by the disciplinary process after the event, um, in addition to the usual citing and disciplinary reviews. So it'll be interesting to see whether um, those involved in the under 20s feel that the message is getting home and it's, we're seeing a change of player behaviour. Um, but on the refereeing side, it's really great to see that the officials appear to be having a good tournament. Um, seeing the up-and-coming referees out there um, using this as a stepping stone for greater things, I'm sure. Um, we saw Dan Jones of Wales overseeing the South Africa versus England semi-final, and then Carl Dixon, Carl Dixon um, of England refereeing the other semi-final between France and New Zealand. Obviously, the outcome of that is an England-France final and this weekend, which rules out Dixon from proceedings. Um, and it'll be interesting to see who that final is given to. Um, by the time you take the the nationalities and neutrality issue out of that, and and that and well, and that announcement will be made as this podcast goes live. So we're not going to bring it to you today, um, but keep your eyes on rugbyreferee.net and our social media feeds for that news when we get it. Um, and that's it on the news and commentary front this week. Um, there's nine more senior internationals this weekend, starting with Brendan Pickerel of New Zealand. Brendan Pickerel of New Zealand, um, who kicks off proceedings in the Tonga Samoa match, um, and there are eight further games going through the day and night um, depending on where you are all the way through to the following afternoon in the United States as they host Scotland and Wayne Barnes is in charge of that one so we wish everybody well so that's that um if you have any feedback as ever we'd love to know we want to know what you want to hear on the podcast we want to know whether you want more interviews and we're lining a few up um we're hopefully going to be bringing um some shorter pieces looking at tips on getting started tips for refereeing the game and that sort of educational piece as well so if you want those sorts of things covered on the podcast do let us know um, drop us a line at ref at rugbyreferee.net or find us at rugbyrefereenet on most of the social media channels and you can drop us a line direct message of some ilk to let us know what you're up to um, of course you can subscribe to update on the website so please do add yourselves to our list 
um, and we can make sure that you get alerted to new stories as we publish them. And now we're going to head on to our review with uh, Craig Joubert, who was really pleased that we were able to grab some time with um, Twickenham 10 days or so ago as he refereed the World 7 Series London leg. So let's transition over to the interview with Craig. So, um, Craig Joubert, thank you very much for joining us. Um, we're here at uh, Twickenham today, um, finals day of the World 7 Series, the penultimate weekend. Um, how's the series gone so far? Good. No, thanks, Keith. And firstly, nice to catch up. It's always good to catch up with old friends. Um, now, look, we're thrilled with how the series is going. Um, you know, there's some, there's some big games coming up later today and obviously going to Paris and this, the series is going to be decided. Um, and we, we're pretty happy with how our refs are tracking. You know, we've got a, we've got a number of guys who improve tournament to tournament and that's, um, you know, that's, that's the important thing for us is that refs continue to improve and, and we've, got, we've got a number of referees now who uh, we believe are genuine playoff referees. Um, which is which is really exciting for us. Of course, we're heading towards the the World Cup in San Francisco yeah. in a few weeks' time as well. So all building nicely towards that. Yeah, and a big tournament that you know, like um, there was a survey done recently amongst the players, and and they all regard a Rugby World Cup sevens as as a really important event for them. So you know, it's a really important event for us too, and obviously for World Rugby. So um, you know, the 16 male and female referees that we've chosen for that event are certainly well into their preparations and getting their heads around what's going to be a great event. And obviously in, in the past seven was always seen as a, as a pathway into the, the wider 15-a-side game. Yeah. That feels like it's a bit different now with, with players coming through specifically sevens and referees specifically in the seven circuit. Do you, do you think that the days of merging a sevens referee into a 15s is the same or is this a single pathway? I, I, actually, I actually think we, we're going to see a shift back to what it used to be. You know, if I think back to when I first started refereeing sevens and myself and Barnsey and, and Nige were all refereeing on the sevens together and it was a legitimate pathway for 15s refereeing. Um, and, you know, Paddy O'Brien and myself, Paddy being the, the sevens referee manager and myself, you know, I had a lot of meetings this week with Greg Garner from Pro 14 and with a lot of the referee managers um, from some of the unions up here. We've had some really good meetings with Lyndon Bray, Sands, our referee manager. And, um, you know, we, we've got a few... We've got a few referees who are legitimately going to be 15s really neat referees um, and this is going to be a development path for them that we believe in two or three years time that they'll be able to develop their 15s concurrently to refereeing on the sevens and that's you know post post the olympics in 220 um, we genuinely believe there are going to be three or four referees from this group who will have progressed their 15s career to, to a stage where you know, they'll hopefully be kicking on to bigger and better things in 15. So that's, um, we, we're certainly trying to support them in that and, and trying to make sevens a pathway and a development space for 15s refereeing as well. And, and how do you do that practically with these guys? They're obviously home-based. You don't contract them centrally from a world rugby perspective. How do you get them to go to San Francisco in one week and then go back to um, Durban to referee or in Australia to referee or in yeah. Doncaster to referee? How does yeah. that actually work? Well, and, and that's why it's so important that we have the conversations we've had, for example, with Greg Garner, um, who's head of Pro 14 refereeing this week, in that making sure that um, their travel loads are managed, their, um, the appointments that Greg wants to use them for in Pro 14, um, we're aware of those that we can appoint them in sevens around that to make sure that 
for example, they're not traveling back from Australia the week before refereeing a Pro 14 game. So uh, what is really neat about those conversations is that um, the welfare of the referees was foremost of everyone's mind. Um, and so just um, yeah, making sure that we work together from a management perspective to do the best by the referees so that they can be the best in both environments. And, and that's a bit of give and take uh, from both sets of management. Um, but those conversations have been so positive that you know, we, um, we're thrilled with where we're getting to in, in terms of how we're doing that. Do you see a time where World Rugby will contract a, a, or have a certain bunch of referees, whether 15s or for 7s, and then they manage where there's referees at the moment? It's the other way around, isn't it? It's the, the local unions manages and they employ the referees and then loan them to, I guess, World Rugby. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there, there are a lot of conversations that need to be have, had by people with more experience than me. Um, look, I do, I do think the reality is you, you need to look at where the, the refs do the majority of their refereeing. Um, you know, and so um, there, there, are, there are talks around how we can do that, but there are also challenges with that. And as I say, it's, um, it's, it's probably had, had, had to be had by people <laughs> higher up the food chain than myself. So let's just come back to sevens. Obviously, a very different type of referee. What are you looking for from a sevens referee? Well, I think firstly, and probably most importantly, is that um, we've got a set of values that we have around the seven circuit that are non-negotiable for us. You know, we live in each other's pockets for weeks at a time. Um, we, we have a set of values that is driven by all the referees that um, it's important that they live by. You know, and, and we talk about things like honesty and trust and professionalism, respect. Um, and so first and foremost, um, people that live those values are people that we want in our team and 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 that's um that's why we we love the the group that we've got and and the, and the the young referees that we've got both male and female who live those values um that that's a priority for us but then obviously from a physical perspective um sevens is demanding yeah. um and so a physical profile we've got a um, a full-time strength and conditioning coach that works with us that um you know runs trainings every week that we're on sevens trips uh, managers um, testing in between in between tournaments so you know having having the physical profile um, is is an important asset for a referee to have and then my job really as the coach of the referees is to is to work with them to make them maybe contextually better referees or work with the actual um, the refereeing development the on-field refereeing hands-on development that that's my role but it's really important that uh, we got the athletes and we got the person that lives the values um, and once we got that um, you know they're just you're a pleasure to work with and so it's, it's exciting where we can get to i guess um, last week we spoke to claire daniels about the attracting more grassroots females into the game yep. this year obviously we've seen more female competitions running alongside the men and therefore yep. i assume that means you've had your group of male officials and females together in the room yep. working all together that's got to help oh fantastic you know and and I think I think so good to have um, to have the interaction between genders, to have the conversations. We very deliberately have combined um, technical sessions, combined coaching sessions, combined uh, physical sessions. So we really um, we really treat everyone in tournament week um, exactly the same. And I think I think it's good for both to be um, to have experience of different cultures and and different ways of doing things um, and it's great to be able to do that and we've got three tournaments now again next season where we're going to have the combined tournaments and so they, they're exciting opportunities for us to develop our team. And do you think the the pathway into refereeing 
is now coming from the players. Are we seeing more pro players in the sevens game turning into referees? Is that now a pathway for them as well? Yeah, certainly. Um, it's, a, it's a great place to develop. You know, we got out of this group, we got uh, we got Richard Horton and we got Damon Murphy, who both played on the sevens circuit for the for the national their national teams. Um, and so, you know, they bring a game understanding. They obviously bring the athletic ability, but a game understanding from a player's perspective, which is quite exciting. And then for me, it's just really neat to be able to work with them off the field and, and share some refereeing philo- philosophies with people who are rugby men and get the game. So um, it, is a, it is a great pathway for ex-players um, and, a great, and a great learning environment. And, you know, we, we do believe quite strongly that this is a development space for future 15s referees as well. So, if, you know, if ex-players come through our ranks and spend a few years with us and, and learn a bit about refereeing and have some fun doing it um, and then go on to kick on to being really world-class 15s referees like we'd be we'd be thrilled to be able to play that kind of role in their development uh, and obviously from from your role's perspective what, what's your target I'm assuming we head towards um, 2020 Olympics in Tokyo from a sevens perspective uh, from, a, yeah, from a, uh, an Olympic perspective and um, what's the target how do you how do you see the sevens refereeing world progressing from here? Yeah, well, I think what we do is we at the, at the beginning of each four-year cycle, uh, we pick a group of referees, and there's no set number to what that group of referees is, but just a group of referees that we believe have shown some promise in some of the development um, series, the European sevens, for example, the Dubai Invitational, just various events around the world that we've been to and, and watched. And then, and then we give those... Those referees opportunity out on the seven series and, and over that four year cycle we'll end up with uh, 12 men and 12 women referees that referee at the Olympic Games. Um, so, you know, there's disappointment along the way for some referees that don't make it. Um, but we really believe that it's in the best interest to give a wider group of the opportunity um, and make it competitive and, and the 12 that ultimately get selected to go to the Olympics know that they deserve to be there and they've proved themselves over a four-year cycle so um, a, a majority of the referees post the Olympics would probably move on into 15s when and and we massively supportive of that and so we probably to a great degree start again uh, in 2021 yeah. which is an exciting in itself you know already we try to identify uh, some talent who might be on our radar come 221 that might be part of our next four-year cycle and so you know, we just um, the circle of life continues, and that's exciting. And it's um, you know, if we can play a part in developing world referees to referee rugby around the rugby world in any kind of way, shape, or form, um, that's yeah, it's got to be a good thing. And, and yeah, we we excited about that. And just talking of cycles, you talk about four cycles, four year cycles. Here, let's talk about a fifteen year cycle and your own, <laughs> um, which. I was looking at the numbers before, so 69 tests including a World Cup final, a couple of British Lions fixtures, 103 Super Rugby, three finals, 80 Curry Cup, and now this earlier today, your 200 World Series yeah. sevens games, that's yeah. quite a run. Um, but the next big match, Hilton College, Michael House, yeah. and the, the last one I hear. Yeah, that's right, yeah, so look, I mean, what those numbers told you, tell you is that I'm really old. <laughs> <laughs> that's all that's really important about the numbers, but um, I've... I got involved in refereeing 26 years ago because I loved the game and that was another way for me to be able to stay involved in the game and so 26 years later I'm I'm still involved in the game because I still love the game. Um, So uh, Hilton Michael House is a big um, schoolboy derby in Maritzburg back in South Africa where I live 
um, and it was it was a game. It was actually the, uh, my late dad was a referee, and his last game of rugby he, he ever refereed was the Hilton Michaela. So um, it's really neat to be able to. I try to do as as many schools games as I can over the years, just because mainly because I love doing them. Yeah, um, and so got an opportunity in two weekends time that I'm at home. The Hilton Michael House is on and the Midlands Refereeing Society have kindly appointed me to it. So it's, um, it'll be a really nice way to finish up um, with refereeing completely and then um, exciting times ahead with, uh, with the full-time role with World Rugby. Great. Well, so many of us listening will have, will have watched your career all the way through, the, obviously the highs um, and the occasional low that yeah. people still dredge up from time to time. What, what's the thing you're going to take away from refereeing? Yeah, look, I mean, I think you're never told to keep learning, you know, and, and as many games as what you might do, there's always, there's always going to be a game, there's always going to be an incident that's going to challenge you, that's going to, um, you know, force you to look inwardly um, and work out what went wrong, how do I do it better, how can I keep learning, how do I keep reinventing myself, and I think, I think that, that taking, taking those lessons forward into my coaching role, you know, it's... it's um, it's something which I remember is that you need to keep reinventing yourself. You can't find a formula that works and just keep doing the same thing over and over. You need to stay current with the game, keep moving with the game and keep learning. And no matter how long you might have been around, um, those, chal- those moments that challenge you um, are good because they force you to stay current. And so, um, you know, you live and learn and, and carry on. We ask this of everyone who comes on the show. What's the, if anyone's out there thinking about taking up refereeing and playing the game active in the sport, what's the message you'd take, give them? Uh, the, the main thing for me is um, if you love the game of rugby and, and, and you see refereeing as another way to either stay involved or contribute or give back, like we, we love those people, we need those people. Um, uh, because, it's, because in many ways it can be a profession now, um, I think there's a danger that some people get involved in the game because they see a lifestyle that they want or see an ambition that they want to try and achieve as full-time referees uh, and I'd really um, be cautious and, and, and urge people to think carefully about what is my motivation for wanting to get involved in refereeing. Um, you know, there, there are times when it's tough, there's times when it's uh, heavily cri- uh, criticised and if you're doing it for the right reasons, which is you love the game, um, ultimately uh, you come through those tough moments because your love for the game overrides uh, the hurt sometimes or the criticism. If you're doing it purely because ambitiously you want to be a professional referee, uh, it's going to be pretty hard to carry on when the, when the going gets tough. So uh, really, um, you know, we need as many referees as we can get and, and anyone that can look inwardly and say, I'm doing it because I love the game of rugby. Um, we need as many of those as we can get. So, well, Craig, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Um, congratulations on a stellar career, and obviously the future the future referees are going to be in a good place with you around to coach them. So, right. thanks very much for joining. Thanks, us. Keith. All the best, and and thanks um, thanks for having me, and thanks for the work that you do on this podcast. I think it's excellent. Thanks very much. Anytime. Thanks for listening to the Advantage Over podcast from RugbyReferee.net. We hope you've enjoyed the content that we brought to you this week. What we'd really appreciate is your likes, rates and reviews, wherever it is you found it, whether that's iTunes or Stitcher Radio or TuneIn. Please head over there and leave us a review. We really do appreciate those. Um, we'd also um, ask you to tell your referee colleagues, friends, community um, that about this podcast this is the only Rugby Referee podcast out there, um, so we hope to get to more earbuds um, over time. We'd also love your feedback um, and your suggestions and your comments. 
so please let us have them um, you can either email us at ref at advantageoverpodcast.com um, or you can find us through the rugbyreferee.net website um, or through Twitter at rugbyrefereenet which is the same handle you'll find on Instagram as well we're in all those places so please do let us know what you think let us know what you want um, and how we can help you become better referees in the future so for now that is Advantage Over <laughs>